ADT professionally installs Google Nest products, helping to make your home safe and smart. You can check in on your home and manage your security system from virtually anywhere. And with Nest Cams and Nest Doorbell, you get intelligent alerts on what matters most. Plus, when every second counts, you can trust ADT's 24-7 professional monitoring. When the most trusted name in home security adds the intelligence of Google, you've got a home with no worries. Go to ADT.com today or call 1-800-ADT-ASAP. Let's get done for Hello and welcome back to Nerf This, the esports show now with 100% more bass. I'm your host, Brian Huff, and I'm joined, as I always am, by the Waluigi to my Luigi 7. Hello, sir. <laughs> I feel like you use the bass thing every time you come back. I but. have to. People, you know, if you are listening to the show for the bass and I disappear <laughs> for a couple of weeks, you need to know that it is back. So it is. You back. can put the bass setting, like dial it back down so you don't play your speakers. Yeah, I was like, whoa, that was set to jewels. <laughs> I don't, I, yeah, I don't like that guy who hosted the last two weeks' show. He sounded like a kindergartner. <laughs> Anyways, they are really starting them young in esports. Oh, we've got <laughs> we've got a big show planned for you this week. We are going to talk about some uh, financials in the Overwatch League as well as hammers, which is morbid if you've heard the story yet, but we will Jeez. we will get to that. It's uh, a dark place. We've been in the show like one minute. I know. and Well, I'm not going to talk about it yet. We'll, we'll go to a happy place first, but yeah, it gets a little dark later. Just warning. Uh, there's a lot of card game news. We're going to talk about Artifact. Uh, that's got a release date as well as Boomsday Project, which launched earlier this week. We're going to talk about uh, potentially the future of Vainglory Esports, but before we do that, I am never more hyped than I am when I get to talk about Evo. And I was at Evo 2018 this year in Las Vegas. And for those of you that know me, those are my people. I love me some FGC. I love going and spending time at Evo, playing fighting games, watching watching the esports. And this was probably the best Evo from a competition standpoint that we have had in quite a while. And I know there's going to be some people that are already typing the hate mails. They're already pinging me on Twitter. But it was a pretty ridiculous Evo. Now, for starters, let's talk about Sunday. So Sunday is the big Grand Finals day. Now, not every game's Grand Finals is on Sunday. But the biggest games, as far as participation, happen on Sunday. So what we saw on Sunday started with Guilty Gear, Xrd Rev 2.1, which, personal favorite of myself. You had Smash Brothers Melee. Followed by Tekken Seven, Dragon Ball Fighters, and Street Fighter Five, and that was just never, Sunday. It ran from I've like eight a.m. until like two in the morning, <laughs> <laughs> and I had to sit my happy ass in that seat because it was general admission. So as soon as you got up, someone stole your seat and had a good seat. So I was like, I am not leaving this chair. I need to find someone to go get me some popcorn. But there are all sorts of interesting stories. So let's start with. Americans showing up in anime in a big way. We had a American winner, the first Dragon Ball Fighters champion at Evo, your boy Sonic Fox. Which I guess was, he's my boy now. He, yeah, he's sure. everybody's boy. The man in the fursuit. <laughs> 
he did it against Goichi twice in yeah. the most watched Evo finals ever. 253,000 peak viewers watched this happen. They got to watch a very controversial side switch, which we will get to in a moment. But <laughs> showing up in a big way, Dragon Ball, the biggest game in Evo 2018, both from participation and a viewership standpoint, biggest game in Evo history from a viewership standpoint. And that is saying something, because even though Street Fighter V was definitely delayed later into the evening than was expected, I think it was originally supposed to kick off at 7.30. It didn't start till like 9, 9.30 Pacific. It did get a host from Ninja. <laughs> to to help it along, right? And it still just barely broke 200k. And that's not hating on Street Fighter. I'm just saying, like, that's a pretty big deal for Dragon Ball fighters. So, Sonic Fox ends up winning that. Americans doing awesome, but that's not the only place where America showed up. So, I fell in love with Tekken during this tournament. Really? I've had yes, I have had a mixed relationship with Tekken. I've never mm-hmm. really enjoyed Tekken. There were some ridiculously good. Tekken matches at Evo. And your boy, little Majin, everybody's your boy. I'm just letting you know. I've been at Evo. <laughs> so everybody, like, man, fan, everybody's your boy. Grown. You were the most popular person at Evo right now. And you weren't even there. But little Majin beats JDCR in probably the best Tekken match I have seen in a long time. If you watch nothing else from the Tekken tournament at Evo, go find that match between Lil Majin and JDCR. Because not only is it amazing, but little Majin comes back, and there's this hilarious, like, they, you know, they have, like, the hard camera on the individuals, and they put the hard camera on him, and he just does this little, like, Dwayne the Rock Johnson eyebrow raise, just like, no, I got this. And he ends up winning, but in, like, I don't want to give it away. Just watch it. It is absolutely amazing. So he finished I think, third. I think you just gave it away. You said he won. Well, I know he wins, but I don't want to give <laughs> how he won. You could go and look at the results okay. and figure uh, out how he won. Just saying. <laughs> um, on top of that... We had Guilty Gear X Zerd Rev 2, and that had the highest finish by an American ever at Evo for Guilty Gear, where Lost Soul made it to third, and the crowd went nuts for him. The crowd was super hype all day, whether it was the 8 a.m. Guilty Gear or the like 11 p.m. Street Fighter. The crowd was on fire. If you go back and look at some of those videos, uh, people doing the cell intro scream and like the entire audience just screaming at the top of their lungs. So a lot of interesting results. Talk about some of the winners here real quick. Uh, so as I mentioned, Sonic Fox took home Dragon Ball Fighters. Problem X, one of our favorite players from Ely, yeah. um, ended up beating Tokido. That was awesome to see. That was amazing. It was, so people, we didn't put this on the show, but Problem X was one of the people that we interviewed at E-League when we were there. And we didn't end up airing the interview because he didn't get as far as we were hoping in the tournament. And then he goes and beats the winner who we did interview, Tokido. And winning Street Fighter V, first, I believe the first European to win Evo Street Fighter, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Tekken 7, uh, you saw uh, Lohu ends up winning. That was a, also a good final. Lil Majin finished third, so props to him. Uh, Smash Brothers for Wii U, Smash 4, which this is probably the last time we'll see Smash mm-hmm. 4, given that Ultimate is about to come out, which we'll talk about here in a bit. Um they staged a walkout, which I yeah, thought was I insane. So for those of you that don't follow it closely, and I'm probably going to butcher this a bit as I'm not like a hardcore Smash fan, but Bayonetta, widely believed to be OP, needs nerfed, has not been nerfed, dominated the character choices in the top eight, including a all-Bayonetta final 
which saw like a minute to two minute just like gun blast stall that just pissed off the audience and they literally just got up in mass and walked out which was crazy uh captain zach and lima got a bunch of shit for it like people felt they were being disrespectful to the audience being disrespectful to the game basically just like putting on blast how op bayonetta is by doing this so that did not go over well and of course it's never you know it's never an evo without some side of the smash community you know having some drama going on (laughs) leffen ends up winning melee yeah, which is crazy because you're looking at a top eight that includes Mango, Hungrybox, and Armada, which is and, just nuts. And Hungrybox, I think we had talked about this. I think Hungrybox said he had injured himself or was claiming that he was injured, part, like <laughs> yes. the day before Evo started. I think I uh, was talking about pain in his wrist or something like that. So, but I mean, Such a gift for using he that solid enough. He did sell enough, right? But yeah, but who so knows? it's a really cop out. Leffen ended up donating some of his winnings to yeah. players that, that finished lower in the, in the melee tournament, which I thought was awesome. There's a lot of cool um, stories like that. I'm trying to remember. I believe it was, it might have been Lil Mod. I'm going to get this wrong, but Justin Wong had actually paid for a player to come and compete at Evo. And it was either Lil Majin or Lost Soul. I can't remember which one, but one of them was the player oh, that wow. Justin Wong basically funded to come play. And then he, you know, both of those players end up doing really well. So that was a cool story. I think Justin Wong, did he also get engaged at Evo? I'm not lying. I think so, I think yes. I saw that he, floating around like, Twitter. I think he did. Yeah. But, I mean, to talk about Aleffin uh, and distributing the, the prize pool, he was saying that, you know, if you got seventh place, and that's out of a thousand plus players, uh, that you only won 150 bucks. He was, like, really annoyed with the the actual prize pool. And he's historically been kind, kind of complained about it. And yep. he said, so he was going to donate that money down the chain to the people who got like you know seventh place whatever it may be basically didn't even cover their cost to be at the tournament despite like finished something seventh out of like thousands yeah it's like you if you make it that high up you should get at least enough to to have covered your trip uh he said you know just even gas alone if you were within the area and a hotel was over 100 bucks like come on uh so he's talking about uh, donating that down and if they didn't want to throw it to a charity which i thought was really cool I mean, I think he only won like seven grand or something like that. It wasn't like he won like a ton of money, but still, he was just like, you know, I'll throw it somebody's way. Yep. Just for giggles. Yeah. Well, and this is part of the problem, especially for Smash, because you don't have the developer augmenting the prize pool like you do in some of these other games, right? Like Arc Systems, Bandai Namco, Capcom, um, Nether Realm. A lot of them will augment, but Nintendo's not currently doing that to the same degree or at all for depending on the game so that is definitely not helping um and i think in the past they've done some stuff through like match is it maturino i think that he did to try and increase price pulls i think it might have been last year i don't know if they did this time around but they're still they're still woefully bad in comparison (laughs) like in general for evo they they can be pretty low but especially for the games don't have developer backing right um and it is i mean it's you have to recognize it whether you think it's okay or not a game, you know, we're talking about a significantly older game that Nintendo probably has zero interest and just keeps trying to, like, Ultimate is the latest attempt to try to get people to stop freaking playing Smash competitively, Smash 4, or sorry, not Smash 4, Smash Melee, and move on to Ultimate. I don't know that that's going to happen, but it is hard for them because Nintendo, like, it's not in their best interest, some would argue, to augment the prize pool for such an old game when they're trying to get people to move to play the new game no. competitively. And I think we saw when... 
Street Fighter Five came out. I think even Capcom was trying to push money towards that. The Pro Tour stuff, like they did. Yeah. yeah, they did multiple things to kind of push. Well, and that was a big deal then because Street yeah. Fighter Five was not ready. Like when Street Fighter Five right. came out, it was yeah. not it was not ready to, for prime time. So that, a lot of people's argument was like, "Yeah, okay, that's great," but when until this game is ready, which obviously is recovered and doing well now. Um, you should, you know, we want to play four because we feel like four is a better game. And this is a theme we will talk about in a minute. Because actually, we'll talk about it now because I'm talking about Blaze Blue. So Blaze Blue Cross Tag Battle game's only two months old. Uh, made its debut at Evo. Was fairly well received. You know, I forget the number. I want to say twelve, thirteen hundred participants. Um, Hiho ends up winning at Japanese player. But one of the things we saw with a game like this when you get these two v two, three v three fighters like we saw with dragon ball and blaze blue when they're early on in their development cycle because they're the dlc characters have become so prominent the meta is fairly boring when you look at it across especially the like super right. competitive players we saw this in the dragon ball top eight we saw this in the blaze blue top eight this has been a problem with blaze blue since nearly the launch of the game which is just like ruby is just so op that this is what you're just stuck with so you get the same team playing the same team over and it does get a little bit stale and it, it's harder for those early games. Now, they have already started to augment this by announcing they're adding nine new characters. This actually already came out earlier this week. We got a new game franchise that they teased, um, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, that is going to be added to the game. But this is this is the problem with some of these newer games is because the developers are so reliant on character DLC to make money to continue to support the game. The games don't necessarily come out with, say, the Marvel versus Capcom 50-character type things. When you're already a tag right. fighter, it definitely limits the options as far as the meta is concerned. Yeah, and the sheer amount of money that uh, Nintendo could probably make through Smash Brothers and, and, and Ultimate, uh, if they were to even charge like 99 cents a character, that's like 150 plus, I think. Is that what they're at now? The, Right around like 150 yeah, in terms of like characters abs- or something. Yeah, when you ridiculous. take Echo Fighters and everything into... Yeah, yeah. It's just cameos, we'll say. Uh, yeah, it's just... <laughs> I don't know. Anyways, they can make a killing off that. I hope they don't go that route. So Nintendo, I'm sorry, rewind this and delete this. Uh, Pretend completely. like you did not hear any yeah. of this. Yeah, but, but yeah, so that was the problem with Blaze Blues. There was a lot of Gordo Ruby, which is hands down the, the best team by like leaps and bounds even at the professional level so you're either like trying to be different or you're playing ruby and gordo and we, we definitely saw that you saw a similar there's a little bit more variation in dragon ball fighters but definitely like there's just not and that's a 3v3 game so there's just not enough roster there to make it super dynamic it's not like marvel versus capcom was at its peak where it's like there's three four five six seven combinations that could potentially work you definitely like see the same over and over again and they're they're making progress we just had uh, base goku and base vegeta come out today they announced cooler um freeze's brother uh at the events which is awesome and he's definitely like just not a um color palette swap which people have been you know obviously that game's getting a bunch of crap because we have like 900 versions of goku and vegeta <laughs> and it's like right i saw somebody's like coming soon dead goku farmer goku fisherman goku <laughs> like yes i cannot wait um so overall like evo was pretty freaking awesome um they made a good amount of sponsorship money everything's growing across the board viewership went up sponsorship went up right um no espn this year but that didn't seem to hurt viewership as far as Twitch is concerned. I, and honestly, I think ESPN did a really crap job of it last year. I think we talked about this. They've done, they, yeah, they did it two years in a row. Both were crap. 
The first year we gave them a yeah. free pass because it was literally like what three or four days before the event happened that they announced it was going to be on ESPN yeah, two. That that might have been the one where they actually had like the announcers. There was like a it was, they weren't even like the same announcers that were uh, casting the game. Essentially, they brought in additional casters, but they were really close to the stage, so you're getting like crowd reactions and um, the other announcers actually bleeding in, and yep. it was just poorly done they weren't shielded well sound wise or anything like that and so uh yeah that but that was that was one that was like really last minute they announced it like thursday that the that the street fighter finals was going to be like broadcast on espn and it's like okay if you want to spin that one together in three days good good job <laughs> yeah this, so it was interesting from a production standpoint i saw a lot of people complaining on twitter so we had like the casters for each game that were yeah. on the stream but then you we had happy. mostly you Tasty Steve and insert random other hype man who kind of did commentary, but were mostly just yelling and screaming about things when they were happening, which is, you know, it was fine. Give us something to listen to. But the, the mix of audio between the game audio and the two of them yelling, and it wasn't done very well. The stage was also shifted more concert style this year, where in the past mm-hmm. they've done more centrally located, which I prefer. I think that's great. It makes everyone kind of feel that they're roughly equidistant from the stage. Uh, but for some reason, they moved the stage down to the end in a more concert setup. So it was probably because they wanted to do the one, the single, um, the single big screen this this time around. Yeah, and they did, uh, but that was out of sync with the arena screen that they still had. They still had the four way arena screen above it, right. and it was like a That's second right. behind sometimes. And it was yeah, it was a little weird, but. Overall, like those, still a great event. Um, I've hinted on a couple of these, but we'll run through some of the announcements that we heard. I talked about Blaze Blue got nine additional characters, which I'm super stoked about because include my favorite character, Mika from Undernight Inbirth. So, you know, for the 10% of you that know what I'm talking about, like I'm super stoked about that. Um, More importantly, though, we're going to get another game franchise woven into the characters available in Cross Tag. Uh, right now, the rumors are one of two franchises. One is Senron Kagura, which is a video game franchise. It's also been spun off in like an anime and a manga. It's about these female ninjas um, or Arcana Hearts. We will see the person who leaked Senron Kagura is also the person that has leaked a lot of the characters with almost 100% accuracy. So I think it's fairly likely we're going to get a bunch of waifu fodder but we'll we'll see we'll see how that works out um in street fighter 5 we knew this was coming but um then we were surprised they announced both at evo and they were both immediately well immediately available as in a couple days later but g and sagat both got announced uh long island joe nearly wet himself when sagat got <laughs> announced like there's these videos floating around of him just like jumping up and down and getting teary-eyed and like he's super super stoked so uh, those are live now. You can play the same with the Blaze Blue characters. Like all those are available live now. Uh, the Switch port of Dragon Ball Fighters is now available as a beta. You can starting today through the end of the weekend, you'll be able to play Dragon Ball Fighters for free on the Switch. If you want to check that port out, uh, we also got Astaroth and uh, Seong Mina from uh, for Soul Calibur Six. So some more classic characters from previous versions of Soul Calibur. Um, we got Lei, Anna, and to, much to the confusion slash excitement of the audience, we're getting Negan as well in the next <laughs> season pass for Tekken 7, continuing this weird like guest character thing. They've just It's like, oh, here's Akuma, here's Geese Howard, here's... Um, we got Noctis, I think, from Final Fantasy, and now we're getting uh, Negan from The Walking Dead, which just like opened the door for all sorts of memes. I saw Kermit the Frog with lightsabers and... <laughs> there's yeah the, the announcement for it though what didn't actually show any kind of gameplay no no we just got like, just artwork yeah 
So, and I think they even used a clip from the TV show. So it wasn't like they even used the same voice actor for something specific for the clip. So, who know? Did they say when that was actually going to be dropped? No, we have no info on it. We don't yeah. know the other characters that are going to be part of the season pass. Uh, I mean. The style of Tekken 7 certainly fits a guy walking around with a baseball bat, so it's not like it's going to be mechanics breaking. Um, but, you know, any more so than, than uh, Ano with a uh, giant rocket launcher in the middle of the match. So, you know, baseball bat seems relatively tame by comparison. Uh, cooler, as I said, next character coming to Dragon Ball Fighters. Um, yeah, so a ton of announcements from a character standpoint. Another big one that I want to spend a couple of minutes talking about is Arc System Works announced that their fighting game world tour that'll be called the Arc Revo World Tour coming to America in 2019. And what is interesting about this is it's going to include Guilty Gear, it's going to include Cross Tag, but it's also going to include Central Fiction, which is a game that has been dropped from the list. It's been replaced by Cross Tag Battle at Evo as a as a mainstay game. So it's going to be interesting that there's going to be a world tour that is going to make this a prize-winning game and given that Evo will be a stop on the Arc Revo World Tour in 2019, will we see both Central Fiction and Cross Tag be available as main stage games? It'll be interesting because usually when a new one comes out in the franchise, even if it's very different, which Cross Tag is very different than Central Fiction, um, what impact that will have on the the Evo main stage yeah. games? Yeah, but I mean, uh, also at that same point, they could uh, get a venue nearby to do it i'm sure if they're paying money for it to happen Evo oh, it'll definitely it'll happen it at evo honestly. that's not the question yeah. the question is is does that get put into the official rotation of main stage games where they tech, yeah. you know smash is the only one that has gotten at least that i can remember that has gotten you know multiple games in the franchise's main stage games like they did this year so um, i'm not saying it's out of the question i also welcome it i think um, there's this definite move, and I'm not going to be an elitist here, but there, there's this definite move for an Arc Systems games to them simplifying mechanics. We've seen it in Dragon Ball Fighters, which is technically a Bandai Namco game, but uh, made by Arc Systems, as well as Blaze Blue. And with Guilty Gear being the only last, you know, stanchion of the complicated mechanics that Arc System Works is known for, I'm actually excited to see Central Fiction be brought back into the equation because I like some of. I, it's not for everybody. And it's not as accessible as some of the other fighters, so therefore they'll never be as big. This is why anime has not grown as fast as other genres within the FGC. But I'm excited to see Central Fiction back into play, especially since we haven't got a Persona 5 Arena announcement. Uh, we didn't get an announcement. There was a rumored Persona 5 announcement. There was an even more strongly rumored next Guilty Gear announcement, though the rumor is for that it's also going to get uh, simplified mechanics. So we'll see, but I'm stoked about that. I think any, you know, any more developer support for fighting games is super welcome. So... Happy about that. And then last, and this didn't happen specifically at Evo, but we knew this was coming, which is you can play Smash Ultimate at Evo, which the line was just, like, massive the entire weekend, unsurprisingly. But we knew we were going to get a Nintendo Direct, which we got today, mm -hmm. announcing a bunch of new characters. And, um, and, and we have, and we have, uh, we have Chairgate. Yes, we'll talk. About, we had, let's talk about Cherry Game for a second. So <laughs> they did the Nintendo Direct. They announced some characters, um, but all anyone cared about that there was a purple and yellow chair, oddly framed off into the side. Like the camera angle made no sense. So it, it feels like the chairs were purposely put there, and everyone's like, "Waluigi confirmed." Yeah, I mean that's all it takes is some some chairs and some hope. Evidently, <laughs> people desperately want. I mean, come on, Nintendo. 
we're gonna get them. I you know I don't know if it'll be at launch or if it'll be as a DLC, but they they've got to do something, even if he's just an Echo Fighter for Luigi, which I know wouldn't probably appease everybody. But so we got um, King K. Rule from Donkey Kong was announced. We got Simon Belmont, which was announced. Uh, Richter is going to be Simon Belmont's Echo Fighter. We also got, I believe, a Dark Samus from Metroid as an Echo Fighter as well. We now have a confirmed number of stages at 103. It's insane. The Donkey Kong stage, which is the uh, new one that's Donk inspired City. by Odyssey. <laughs> yeah. It's a little weird, but I don't I, Just Odyssey and the real worldness uh, kind of stuff. Like everything about Odyssey in the real world that weirded people out, like Mario's interacting with humans. Yeah, yeah, and so now it's kind of a Mario Odyssey inspired Donkey Kong level, which is cool, I guess. I guess New Donk City. Yeah. Uh, we're also getting a yeah. stage morph feature. A uh, it morphs from stage to stage. I don't know. It's. I mean, you kind of have to when you're at 103 and counting. So. Yeah, like, we've run out of ideas. How you have 103 <laughs> is beyond me. but And I think it, it's interesting, given that stage select in Smash is a huge part of gameplay, especially at the competitive level. Like, it's right up there with maps and, and uh, first-person shooters and, and hero shooters. And I'd say Tekken is probably the only other game I can think of right now, though I imagine games like Soul Calibur and Dead or Alive are going to bring this back, where stage select is important. But I don't think it has as big of an impact to gameplay as it does in Smash. But does it have as big an impact as uh, swapping sides? Oh, man, yeah. So let's talk about that. I'm glad you brought us back to that. So um, it would not be Evo without some drama. And there was some drama. The Smash and the Street Fighter communities got into it a little bit. Um, there were some snarky remarks made by on the Smash side. But the big controversy of the weekend was during the Dragon Ball Fighters final. So Goichi had been knocked down to loser's bracket by Sonic Fox. He made his way back into the grand finals, and for those of you unfamiliar, it is double elimination, best of five in the grand finals, and, and also in the winner's finals and loser's finals. And so Goichi has to beat Sonic Fox twice in order to win. So he beats him, causes a reset. He goes 3 O's him, too. Like, he he rocked him. It was not like a, oh, he eked by. No, Goichi, like, owned the crap out of Sonic Fox in that first set. You yes, go to do the reset, and then all of a sudden you kind of see... Sonic Fox trying to talk to Goichi. They bring translators in. There's a coin flip. And, and what we learn is basically Sonic Fox wants to switch sides. Side swapping is allowed by the rules after a set. And because there is a reset, he is allowed to do this. So for those of you that are getting angry without knowing the rules, it is in the rule set. Now, the reason why people are upset are not necessarily because he switched sides, but it's because it took so long. Now, in my opinion... It took long, not because Sonic made it take long. It's just Goichi didn't want to swap. They had to go through the process of like breaking the tie of who was going to be on what side. And you add in the fact that Goichi doesn't speak English and Sonic Fox does not speak Japanese. And they have to get a translator involved. You watched him. It was painful, I imagine, to go through that whole process. It was, yeah. And so people felt like that Sonic Fox was trying to ice Goichi. Now, to be fair... Goichi got pretty damn close in that first match against Sonic Fox. Like, it did not look like it had swayed. And eventually Sonic Fox came around and, as we said earlier in the show, won it. Um, this is a re also like a rekindling of the controversy from the E-League Street Fighter Grand Finals in which there was a commercial break between the reset yeah. and the ultimate final set, which also people believed had an impact and took momentum away um, right. from Smug. But overall, but, like, the dramas was hot. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that was the very first thing I the parallel I drew. It's like, okay, this is immediately going to be exactly what everybody complained about with the E League uh stuff was that there was a commercial break between the reset. And so I think that's uh I mean, they knew the commercial break was coming. Like that was like they knew it was gonna happen, so nobody was surprised by it. But yeah, it is kind of like a momentum killer or a momentum changer. And yeah, it wasn't like Sonic Fox easily could have just been like, okay, cool, let's just swap seats and we're good. But it became, uh, like you mentioned, it became kind of chaotic. And it became like, I think somebody didn't necessarily know the rule. You had to get translator. Then it looked like, I don't know, some guy who looked like Doja from CSGO <laughs> came out and flipped a coin. Uh, and then, yeah, uh, <laughs> that was it. But And this is something we've got to get used to. Yeah. And, you know, I... Sonic Fox made a good point that I think is worth talking about for a minute, which is we're taking a lot away from Goichi to say that the only reason he lost, like, he's not, a professional should be able to push through this and still be a great player. Goichi did not all of a sudden become trash because there was like a 10 minute break between the one set and the other set. Like, that's, I get momentum to a certain degree, but this is just part of competition. This is going to keep happening. In fact, if you look at sports like basketball and football, and not to draw too many traditional sports parallels, but as part of the strategy, you know, icing the kicker, calling timeouts at the end of a Mm -hmm. game, like if we're professionals and you are good at the sport or the game that you choose to play, yeah, it's a bit of maybe it's a bit of mind games. Even if it was, let's just say for a second, Sonic Fox's whole plan was to ice Goichi. You got to give Goichi more credit than that. Like you can't just say that yeah. he's a, he's a great player until he has to sit five minutes between sets and he's free. Like that's that's not at all how it should go. And I think that's a good point. Like we we and it's usually the people who have no idea or very rarely competed in any esports are getting super angry about it. Like it's not fair, and it's like <laughs> it happens and. Was Goichi upset at the moment? I imagine he was. He was a competitive person. He just lost the finals of Dragon Ball Fighters after like owning the crap out of Sonic Fox in the fir- in the reset. And I get it, but I don't think we can like hold him responsible. Him being Sonic Fox, or even like say that like we just have to get used to it. It's how it's going to be. There's going to be breaks. Things are going to happen. Yeah. Like that's like saying, oh, it's not fair. Goichi was awesome in the quarterfinals, and then he had to wait 45 minutes until the semis. Like, <laughs> just fucking happens. Like yeah. you just got to get over it. So. That was the drama, um, and then the media being the media, like, it's, oh, Sonic Fox, then we got to pay attention to him, and then there's a bunch of misreporting. So following Sonic Fox on Twitter over the last week has been pretty <laughs> hilarious, because he also tweeted at the end of the match, he's like, I'm gay, and like then like everybody jumped on board and was like, oh, I, I thought yeah, he didn't know he came out, he came out as gay, oh my god, and he's like, no, I've already come out, like, it's also called a fursuit, <laughs> you know, just like going through like the, all the things that the main, main, more mainstream media was trying to do covering it. Uh, yeah, was, was pretty funny. They, they, they didn't know, like, uh, yeah, they didn't know it was called a fursuit that what he was wearing. Some people reported that he was like a, a lion. Yeah, and somebody could they called it like a hat. <laughs> yeah, he's, it's just kind of funny him correcting all these like bad oh, journalistic it was good. endeavors. But overall, an awesome, like, great showing for Americans. Um, another thing that I feel like has been underreported, but I think is worth pointing out, is like uh, players of color, like showed up big time like so all these players that i've called out problem x little majin lost soul sonic fox all black players we don't have enough diversity in esports except and i i talk about this all the time except for the fgc and this was a great demonstration of that we got a lot more than just like south koreans whooping the crap out of white people so it it was it changed the narrative so i i think it's great overall it was an amazing event 
well worth your time to go. There were some great panels from a lot of content creators. We got a lot of exclusive announcements. There's a lot about EVO when developers will show up, support the tournaments, make exclusive announcements at the tournament like it is E3 or Gamescom or whatever. So I think that was amazing. Um, growth overall. Dragon Ball Fighters is at the moment the new king of the FGC if you you know look at viewership and participation. Um, but, but it did also expose, I think, some weaknesses in the game from a spectator standpoint. Though that best of five took for freaking ever, let alone having to go through two best of fives between Sonic Fox and Goichi. It does it's a very oppressive game. Blocking is a huge part of it. I saw somebody hilariously tweet that the only time and it's not true, it's it's partially true but not true, that the only times people get hyped in Dragon Ball is when you, you scream during cells uh or freezes or cells sorry, cells intro, or you uh watch somebody block for twenty seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Not true, but true. We do get hype about both those things, but there's other things we get hyped about too. It, it was overall great, but like definitely that game needs a little bit more dynamics to the to the gameplay. Um, it needs some more characters in the meta, and I think we'll yeah. we'll get there in time. But yeah. overall, awesome. Back. Sad you weren't there. I feel like this would have no. been like a good christening into the FGC for you, but maybe next year. Christening in the FGC. Come on, <laughs> just saying. <laughs> I, I really wanted to go to Evo this time around. It was totally planned to go, and then life happens, and you can't go. But, um, That's right. yeah, definitely next year, 100%. Awesome. So that was Evo coverage, Evo 2018, the VODs, except for Channel 7, which kind of sucks. They forgot to turn VOD automatic VOD capture on for the new Evo 7 channel on Twitch. So any games that took place on Evo 7, you are not going to get to watch. But for the most part, all the VODs are available on the various Evo channels, Evo 1 through 6, as well the Evo main channel. If you want to check out any of those matches, I definitely suggest specifically checking out the little Majin JDCR stuff. I think the Sonic Fox Yoichi matches were amazing. All the matches with the Lost Soul. Guilty Gear, last point. Guilty Gear, which I was super disappointed last year in Evo. It was like super boring. Uh, the final matches were just like complete freeze. It was horrible. Guilty Gear this year was amazing. Absolutely amazing. I loved every second of Guilty Gear this year. Like I got up at 8 a.m. and watched the hell out of that, and it was great. So stoked for my anime fighters to be doing well this year. But that's it until February when Evo Japan rolls back around. That'll be the next time we talk. Well, I'm the next time we talk FGC, but next time we talk Evo will be at the uh, beginning of February, which means we'll have a lot more dynamic meta with uh, Blaze Blue, have a lot more dynamic, dynamic meta with Dragon Ball, and we will have Smash Brothers Ultimate by then. So that comes out in December. So. Lots of interesting things changing in FGC between now and Evo. But we are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, it's all about Blizzard. Uh, Overwatch League is in the news in a lot of positive and in one weirdly dark negative way, um, yeah. which we'll talk about as soon as we get back. And we're back, and it is time to talk Blizzard, which, you know, we have to talk about, I feel like, every week. And, of course, it's about the Overwatch League, but let's first talk about Activision Blizzard in general. They reported their Q2 fiscal year 2018 earnings, and despite no game releases, they have surpassed Wall Street estimates again with a Q2 revenue of 1.62 per share. 68% 68% of its net revenue comes from other sources, which includes the Overwatch League. Um, and then, obviously, mobile initiatives bolstered with a 10-cent Call of Duty deal. 
lots uh, i mean we shouldn't be surprised by any of this but it's crazy to think that here we are now when there are some pretty big things coming up we've got battle for azeroth that comes out later in august we've got um a new expansion coming for destiny 2 there's a new release for king coming up which people forget but king is also part of the activision blizzard umbrella um, right. Blizzard also teased some major Diablo projects today, so we're going to have some Diablo release, at least one announced at BlizzCon this year. Um, so overall, like the behemoth that is Activision Blizzard, just like continue on chugging, but I think the most important and relevant piece of this is the fact that the revenues for non-gaming things, specifically Overwatch League, are starting to become right. a large chunk of Activision Blizzard's revenue, which is telling given that we have this rumored Call of Duty League that is also potentially going to spin up sometime this year or at least get announced this year like it's a big deal like they are just making money hand over fist in a bunch of different areas and if the esports world can just generate even more revenue like the i don't know when the end to the positive run is going to be in sight <laughs> well i mean the the bonus to a lot of this is uh you know that money doesn't come with technically doesn't come with uh like development costs it's not like you're fronting a bunch of that and you're taking a huge hit it's generally seen as a large margin deal. So you, you're getting in, say, $20, $60 million for a team spot when there, there's no real cost to that. And I knock on wood, there is an, a cost, but it's it's largely in the, the amount of like administrative, but not in like paying developers necessarily. I mean, and you just get sports franchises to pay the bills. So, right, right. So, I mean, now I, I think the. The saying of there no games were released in the period um, is not necessarily uh, the best way to put it. Cause well, because it's a different have, world with the microtransactions. It's different world, yeah. Because for for a couple of things, you had all the pre-sales of of World of Warcraft thrown in there. You had all the pre-sales of uh, Hearthstone thrown in there. So you didn't technically launch during those days, um, but you were still you you still the majority of, of your income comes in those pre-order segments i think these days far more than they do it's like there's not as many like Largely, most of the people not say most let's say 70% of the people i'm making this number up but 70% of the people that are going to buy battle for azeroth have purchased it already yeah yeah i i think if you're locked into a game um from an esports standpoint yes from like a sometimes like call of duties and things like that these standalone games they're platform only it's it's generally in like the five to ten percent range that people sometimes do it. Maybe not so much with Call of Duty anymore because it's like a long standing thing. But generally, when a console game itself does come out, it's usually in that five to ten percent range. I believe I could be. It may have completely changed since the last time I ever looked at those numbers. Yeah, and I so. also don't know how reporting works for that. I don't know because it used to work like they would have to pull that forward so that revenue would not count until the actual product shipped. And I don't know how that works in this new microtransaction pre order crazy yeah. landscape that we live in but i think the bigger thing is the bigger note is they're just making a shit ton of money yeah no no they they totally are i mean if you think about it you add in uh you, you know four new teams at 50 million a piece that's 200 million dollars that's the equivalent to launching a console title that does very well right yep and but to do that you have to spend three you know three years building the game and you invest however many millions and in, in doing it and they're just yep. reaping the benefits from that so it's good to see that that's um you know the uh, the headcount alone which they've onboarded this was the worrisome part uh, for me was that they brought in so many people to help run esports yeah and i thought that was going to bury them 
Oh, you mean and their financial talents that they brought on yeah. the the nine casting teams and no, not not even nine casting like this just um, like the production crew and yeah they were bringing everything in house in the past that they had like you right. know either farmed out to ESL or had the their MLG arm do or whatever like you said this was all Overwatch League specific talent and yeah and on top of that I mean we we talked about it as well like they were they were getting a lot of talent in, in terms of PR and management and everything else like that uh, just. From an administrative standpoint, they were pulling from everywhere. We, I mean, I don't know how many times I'd pop on LinkedIn and see that somebody else had hopped over to Blizzard and they were previously at either another PR firm or doing something else. And we had talked about it. We were like, man, if this doesn't work out, there's a ton of people in the industry who are screwed. Yeah, because they're all um, going to get replaced by newbies. <laughs> right. And that's like, I mean, Hi-Rez was who we were talking about at the time where their entire like production team and anybody with any esports experience anywhere, which is largely like ESL, Hi-Rez valve we're just and even riot to a certain degree we're all getting plucked right. and moved over to overwatch league so it's hugely risk what i'd love to see and i don't think this number is available publicly but i feel like we're at the stage with overwatch league we're adding a new team it's kind of like printing money to them to a certain degree i'd love to know yeah. the revenue tied to bringing a team into the overwatch league like how much revenue are they making on merchandise how much revenue are they making on in-game items to support the team because a percentage of that goes to the teams, but not the whole thing. So obviously Blizzard is making money off that. So like what kind of revenue on average is tied to a team? And at what point will that dip off? Like I, I st- one thing I'm still not sold on is outside of the hefty franchise fees they're getting from these new squads. We know two of the rumored four so far. Is there actually people sitting on the sidelines waiting for their local area to get a team before the revenue will ramp up? And that's what I think is still not one-to-one to what we see in traditional sports like oh i love soccer but there's no seattle sounders yet and then seattle sounders come and all of a sudden the mls has like forty thousand new serious fans i don't think that's the case with overwatch league right now i don't think people are like i'm not doing paying any attention to overwatch until they come to atlanta and then i'm then i'm all in right, so i don't right. think it's one-to-one but i do think there's probably some decent amount of revenue tied to these particular teams yeah, and I think a lot of it, I mean, you, you do expand once you get into an area. Um, it, there's definitely, from the, the, again, the regionality standpoint, is going to bring in more money. Um, I don't know if it warrants tripling the price to get in. Uh, <laughs> Apparently but, someone thinks it does. Yeah, again, those are rumors. We don't necessarily know 100%. It could be something completely different. It could be it's $60 million, but with it could be $20 million, just like everybody else did, but they've got different things, different levers that they... Or, or, or points in which they reach, and then they technically have to pay up more, or whatever maybe. I don't know. Uh, so who knows what exactly what those deals are? Uh, well, we won't. Uh, Blizzard will. So I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't know how much we can speculate on sixty million a piece. I think it's. I kind of feel silly being like, oh yeah, man, they're paying sixty million a piece. I don't know what the hell they're paying, but it's obviously making a decent amount of money for Blizzard if they're if it's a significant amount because it's just pure street margin at this point. Yep, and I will say. Despite some of our concerns, a good portion of the teams were competitive throughout the season. Maybe not every stage, but almost every team, with the exception of one or two, got the, <laughs> Shanghai. Shanghai um, got their got their time in the sun, and that that actually bodes well. Um, I do is. think the season is still too long. I do think the format is a little wonky and still like tires people out, and there's a lot of burnout by the end of the season. But that being said, the stages definitely felt distinct. Um, where I was worried it was going to be like, great, let's just watch the Soul Dynasty win every single stage. Like, yay. Um, which turned out not to be the case. Not just that Soul didn't, but like there was some 
difference in meta. There's difference in what teams were the top teams that stage. And I think that actually played to the advantage because if I'm in Atlanta, if I'm a you know, future Sydney or Melbourne team or whatever, I come into this and I'm like, oh, it's actually not going to be all that bad for me. Um, I think the bigger yeah. concern that I have that has not proven out yet is, is there enough talent in Overwatch to sustain that many teams? I think I think there is. I think you're going to run into a point where like there's there are enough people playing that uh, as you as especially with like in the in the contender leagues and so on and so forth. Um, like it's there. I, I don't think we'll see uh, anything devoid of that. Now, will some of the teams that are already that already have players stay strong? Yeah, but I think those people will get moved around. Like Spitfire had to offload a, a bunch of people and that talent. Right, went we won't see right? those super deep benches. I don't think this right. season as much no. as we did this past season. No, uh, especially even with the, the drafting uh, leg up that the expansion teams get, essentially um, yep. getting to sign people earlier on. Um, so those are those are some things that hopefully they'll spread the talent around a little bit. So you're not just kind of bringing in a bunch of rookies. But I, I think um, I was I was going I was going to make a point, and now I'm I'm blanking. Uh, but it, was, it to talk about. Well, I don't know. I, I've totally lost it. <laughs> I can't remember what we were, professionals, like, hey, folks. We are professionals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I sorry, I get on another tangent because you had mentioned something, um, but uh, yeah, can't remember. Okay. Maybe so, it'll come between. But go for uh, it. Along that same regionality thread, like another story that popped up this week that we should talk about for a couple of minutes is the uh, GM of the London Spitfire, Susie Kim, uh, said they actually were trying to plan a prospective meet uh, fan meet and greet in Seoul. And for those of you that are not close with the Overwatch League, uh, a good portion of the teams, but especially the Spitfire, are made up of. Korean players like these you know it's just because they're based right, in London right. does not mean it's a bunch of London players and so it made sense for them to try to set up a fan meetup and we learned through this because the Seoul Dynasty exercises option that you, if you own the license the regionality for your particular organization in a region you get rights of first refusal for other teams to promote and market and sell merchandise in that area and that's what happened here. Basically, the Soul Dynasty said, "Nope, you can't come to Seoul and run a fan meetup for the Spitfire." Now, I don't know how often this comes into play. One of the things when we were talking uh, during the production meeting about this that we asked is like, "Well, how does this work? Like New York, for example, right? Like right. the Grand Finals are in New York. Does that mean that you know the Fusion or the Spitfire can't run promotions and fan meetups and stuff in New York during the Grand Finals?" Because the NYXL did, they had a fan meetup, and they actually even did, um, for those of you in the streetwear, they even did like a, a pop-up shop with Undefeated, which right. is a streetwear brand, and they did like a crossover, which I'm trying to get my hands on one of those jerseys because I'm a big Undefeated fan, but like they did a, a crossover jersey as streetwear, um, and there's actually a good article, I forget who did it now, I feel horrible. Uh, somebody did a great article about the crossover between streetwear and, and esports right now, but so there's a, these opportunities are part of this regionality that Blizzard is enforcing that we haven't heard a whole lot about because there hasn't been much reason to hear about it, right? Like everything's just been happening in LA, and obviously they, they must do something in the LA area because if all all the teams are playing in LA. It makes no sense that the two LA teams could just block everybody else's fans from having any sort of like watch party or meetup in LA. But it'd be interesting to see what these rules actually are and how they continue to play out as the league becomes more mobile and is doing more stuff from region to region. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure there's some kind of stipulation that if it is like a larger event going on or current season one, maybe that isn't the case. Like you, because everybody's playing out of LA, that you can do whatever you need to. Uh, I think. From a, a marketing standpoint, I think it's kind of r- dumb that uh, Soul Dynasty did not allow it because 
the more people that you have interested in Overwatch League, the more people you're going to have interested, like you're going to grow your audience. Yep. It's like basically saying, yeah, we don't want this kind of, you know, a specific type of product out there because if, you know, they see that, they, I don't know, like people using computers, we only want one, our brand of computers out there because who knows whatever happens. Like if, if somebody gets their hand on another computer, they might talk to someone else and it just grows. It's just kind of what, what's the What's the saying where the rising tide raises all ships? <laughs> like it's one of those <laughs> things where like yeah. the regionality is not important enough right now that you want to deny a chance for right. anybody to meet up and learn more and get more involved in the Overwatch League. It's not like yeah. you're or, protecting or- ticket sales or... Or do something fun with it and do like a show match between the two. Yeah, right? like, like there's you, all sorts of cool stuff you could do. Yeah, there, there's so much that could have been done, uh, or do it in conjunction with them. Like it, it just it should have been done. I, I think it's really really ridiculous that it wasn't it didn't happen. But I do remember the point I was going to make. Uh, you talked about the season and the the season being uh, really long and uh, how things you would like to see it maybe shortened up. Whatever. I think. Um, uh, what I would like to see is more characters or heroes dropped during the, those times and changing of the meta even more drastically. Right. Because we're not, I felt like even though the meta changed, it kind of didn't. And it also didn't change uh, to what even was close to on, uh, on the live servers because of problems. And I think that development has been so heavy heavily geared towards esports this past year that it feels I know it's different people but it feels like character development and dropping of new players has slowed down considerably and while they're going through and they're reworking a lot of different people it's they're not releasing new characters as often as I would like to see because that changes the meta drastically and so I'm hoping that this year we'll see a little bit more of that. Maybe maybe even take a little bit longer break and then drop the character. Or, I mean, how awesome would it be to have the reveals of new characters during during these events? During during the during the events during the the games. Yeah. Like it just it's a super big draw to the game, and I, I hope that they I hope that's the route they take this year. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. So if you follow League of Legends closely, this has been a hot topic among league of legends players because the flip side of this is the stress that it puts on the players to constantly relearn a new meta whether it is changes to existing right. heroes or champions in the case in the case of league um or introduction of new characters like zoe for example in league of legends has just caused all sorts of havoc um since they added her to the game so there, there's a flip side of that but i do agree there's not enough differentiating the gameplay from stage to stage that does feel kind of weird it would be nice like maybe they take a month off and we let it run the whole year but they get a month off in between and there are significant changes and we we backlog any patches and we drop all those patches at once and they get a month to prepare Uh, there's two i can see both sides to it i think from a spectator standpoint i 100 percent agree with you i think there is a huge benefit to anything we can do to make it not just seem like you're watching the same thing over again um, but on the flip side, there is this burden on the players to constantly relearn the meta and make adaptations, and and the players often view that as a very big negative, and that is something that has drug League of Legends down from a competitive standpoint, arguably, in the past year or two, is the amount of changes that Riot has made and the impact that it's had on the meta and how the players don't feel like they're playing at their best until later on in the split, for example, and then that ends up changing something else, and they just feel like they're constantly yeah. behind and they're not able to focus on getting better at core game mechanics and they're just constantly chasing the changes that are introduced to the game and that's 
I mean, that's a legit reason to be like upset, and I totally get it. I mean, a lot of the times they were also dropping patches at the wrong time, and so yeah, strategies change quite a bit. I think when it comes to, to Overwatch, though, the character pool is very small, and so I don't think it's that drastic of uh, of a change in terms of meta and strategy when you do introduce a new character. Not all the times. I mean, it's enough, but I think that what we see is in a week or two, some teams, Spitfire were the perfect example, uh, or even uh, Philadelphia Fusion, how they dismantled NYXL, it was largely around like how much you do your homework. I think the Spitfire definitely did their homework when it came to Philly, and they destroyed them <laughs> completely when it came to the finals. And that just shows preparation and so on and so forth. But that's part of playing an esports game. Like That's the competitiveness of it is, can you put in the time to learn the strats and do your thing? And so I, we've we've heard Kaplan talk about in the past this idea again this notion and it was again far reaching into the future is what he said but it's uh, the idea of like sunsetting characters so you can have more characters but as you get to that point where it becomes problematic well we're introducing another character now there's just too many strats to kind of sort of learn you can kind of decrease or retire players so to speak or retire heroes uh, and then kind of decrease your pool in which you can play or change it. Just like CSGO has their map pool that changes. Right. And sometimes they retire maps. Same thing. Yeah. It's right, right. And or you can or you can keep the you can keep the hero in game, but remove them from competitive play. It's no different than like, right, hey, we've right. we've released Hammond, but you can't play Hammond yet. You know, Hammond's not available in competitive for like a month Correct. or whatever. So it's a tricky yeah. problem. It's also different because Blizzard releases heroes at a far slower rate than a lot of other games that are, you know, hero or champion based, whether it be MOBA or first person shooter. I mean, Paladins has a much more neck breaking pace of champion unveiling than we have seen in the heroes at Overwatch. Right. So it depends. Yes, I think, but there, and there, it depends too on the changes. Like, I think sometimes the changes to the heroes, the existing heroes, often cause more meta changes often than the yeah. introduction of a new one. I think if you look at what's happening with Symmetra and what's about to happen with Torbjorn and what happened with Hanzo, those were all massively meta changing because, like, Hanzo in particular, where, like, when the new Hanzo came in, it was like, holy shit, like, he's viable and he can do all this stuff. Um, well, but even, like, they've said they've gone in with, like, Brigida um, and mm -hmm. Wrecking Ball and both said these are meant to try to change you know, reduce the amount of dive comp or whatever. Right. And so they definitely go in there with the sole express purpose of putting a hero in there to drastically change the meta in a way that they either think is more fun or they, like, you know, when they made changes to Ana to get rid of the quad tank setups. So it's it's not too different. I think they have less opportunity for that yeah. level of impact because of they just have less heroes they can tweak and they don't release heroes as frequently. Well, I think one of the things that they've done is uh, Symmetra is a perfect example of them maybe even taking character changes a little bit too far. I mean, Symmetra now is, what, 80% different than than at launch, right? And so when you have characters that you're totally redefining, you've essentially created a new person. Um, but who knows if down the line, Symmetra become viable in some kind of way, shape, or form. So by taking that original skill set or those original abilities away, you've changed the game enough that you it's the equivalent of adding in a new person anyways yep and and so but who knows that down the line it could have been cool to see that character being used for a specific strat but now you, those abilities don't exist in the game that's not an option anymore so i i, I mean i think they originally stressed too much on who's playing what and how much they're playing it uh with too too small of a character pool well, and, and it's also pulled away from what was supposed to be 
the original point of having the dynamic swapping of heroes, which is right. like the meta not only changes from map to map or season to season, but it changes from point to point within a map. And we do see that to a certain degree, but I do think you're right that looking at it purely from like a character select percentage standpoint is a little naive and narrow-minded because there is this concept of like, maybe you actually just need to make maps where builders can be effective and make right. choke points where builders can be effective and where they're the best option as opposed to just getting rid of all builders and turn them into pseudo damage characters, which is what the, the direction they've ended up going. But I do think like you, you could do that via map mechanics. And I think I'd rather see that. I think it's, I think builders bring a unique aspect to the game. Uh, but right now professional overwatch is so fast paced and moves so quickly that like, I get it, a stationary character like a Torbjorn or a Symmetra that needs a bunch of setup time and requires very specific things to happen for their ultimate to be useful sucks but they maybe have swung too far the other direction which just like okay like right. builder is like a theme in that like you create things but it's not like a core gameplay style anymore you're just like a dps that happens to like throw things that shoot as opposed <laughs> right. to shoot things directly um also in overwatch league news and i feel like we've reported this multiple times throughout his career um but your boy seagull is retiring again to focus yep. on streaming um, this is not the first time this happened. This happened back in the Apex days, and then he was plucked out of retirement to come play for the Dallas Fuel, but he is now saying that he is once again retiring from professional Overwatch for good. He's going to focus on his streaming. Um, see all previous episodes in which we talk ad nauseum about how you can make more <laughs> money as a streamer than you can as a second-rate right. uh, esports player, and that's probably yeah. why he's doing it. Exactly. I think he's going to make more money that way. He can probably have a, it's probably a huge quality of life change for him. He can head back to, I think he's out of the Seattle area, actually. I mean, he can head back home, do what he wants to do, play other games. And wait, wait for that money. Seattle Overwatch League team. I know, right? He'll get, he'll be the coach for that. Uh, he'll be pulled into coaching or something ridiculous soon. But no, I, I think it's, it's smart. I mean, he wasn't getting a ton of time uh, on the fuel. Um, and if anything, it probably just as much maybe even hurt him. Uh, by by going and doing that, I'm I, my assumption. The fact that he's retiring right now is that it hurt him, <laughs> or he knew that something was coming up, and like maybe they weren't going to renew um, his contract, or he didn't want to try and go to another team and start all over again. Right, so, and you know we, it's sense. a little bit of news of the past, but the fuel suffered for a good portion of the Overwatch League season. Like it, that, a bit of a little yes. redemption going on near the end, but we can't forget it was a really rough season for the Dallas Fuel. Uh, both from a gameplay standpoint and an off the uh, off the field, I guess, or whatever we're going to call it in esports, off the screen. Um, <laughs> XQC. We'll just call it XQC. Yeah, the XQC problem. Well, the pedal um, thing. Yes. The hammer thing. No. Well, <laughs> the hammer thing. We'll get to it in a second. Um, so, yeah, I mean, good on Seagull. Like, I think there yeah. is a line, and that line is still fairly low, which is like, I can make more money as a streamer. And Seagull is very popular as a personality. He's very popular as an Overwatch player. Um, his stream has always been a good source of income for him. He obviously made this decision once before um, when he was competing in Apex, and, you know, obviously he gave it another run, but he's just not getting enough playing time or his contract isn't enough. Or like you said, the field probably going to make some pretty significant changes going into the season, and he probably said, you know what? They're probably going to drop me, or I'm going to have to go to another team. I don't want to mess with this. Like, I'd rather just go back to streaming, make money, and be happy. And it's a quality of life thing, too. So, I, I mean, kudos to him. I, I don't think we should anybody Indeed. should give him any crap for it. Um, he's got 750,000 followers on Twitch, so he certainly got a base to build some subscribers off of. I don't think I don't think he's yeah. going to be hurting. Um, no. and, so. Go the route that Shroud did with CSGO. 
Yeah. <laughs> start showing up at like invitationals and stuff. Yep. Yep. Um, and last but not least, not really esports related, but just for Overwatch League fans and Overwatch fans in general, uh, summer games are coming up. The skins look freaking awesome. I don't know if you saw the baseball yeah. Zenyatta that they unveiled today. No, I didn't. I saw the uh, uh, the Reinhardt. I saw the Roadhog skins. Those look cool. Yeah, Those so there's really like cool. Catcher. Football, there's a Catcher Winston. There's a... Oh, yeah, I saw the Winston one. Yep. Yeah, yeah. there's like a lacrosse one. Uh, there's a, a Wave Racer Diva where it kind of looks like Tracer has jumped into Diva's back. Um, and then there's the Baseball Zenyatta. So there, there's a bunch of, you know, summer games themed skins coming out for the usual summer games event, which is going to be based mm-hmm. in Busan this year. Um, so just keep an eye out for that. In the meantime, people have done some pretty creative things trying to create their own summer games. My favorite one being the Doomfist Wrecking Ball Volleyball. <laughs> it's like, yeah, so basically you go to Junkertown just before the first point. They have two Mercies using their beams to create a net. And then two opposing Doomfists just keep uppercutting a Hammond back and forth over the, the beam playing volleyball. Yeah, it's pretty inventive. I mean, this is what happens when Blizzard takes a little longer than we hope to come out with the summer games. People people get bored is what happens, and we get uh, Doomfist Uppercut Hammond Volleyball. It's a mouthful, but that's what we get. Anywho, that's uh, Overwatch League and Blizzard news. We're going to take another break, and when we come back, um, we'll talk about the hammer situation. I'm, gonna, I'm doing a clean break before we talk about the hammer because it's some dark stuff, and we're only going to talk about it briefly because... Uh, God, esports. And to be fair, this is not a player problem. But we're also going to talk about um, some further Fortnite success, and we're going to talk about uh, Hearthstone and Artifact. So we'll uh, be back in a moment. And we're back, and all right, I'm not, we're not going to make any jokes about this. Uh, this. This is actually a really horrible situation, and the fact that this is being tied to esports in any way, shape, or form makes me a bit sick to my stomach, but um, yeah, you want to take... I don't even know where to start with this horrible story, but... And <laughs> the part... So, so there's it, there's a, a venture firm that is involved with, the, uh, with Optic Gaming, which owns the Houston Outlaws and the Overwatch League. And one of their managing partners has been accused of domestic violence in a very horrific manner. <laughs> like, not just your run-of-the-mill shitty domestic violence, but, like, domestic violence of a whole nother level. Yeah, essentially, um, I, I think you're, you're pulling up the information. It literally happened, like, right before we got onto the show. Um, but I, I can't remember the, the guy's name, but he evidently came back home from a, a concert where he and his wife had, had a fight and he decides to basically kick down the bedroom door and has a hammer and like basically assaults his wife. She's able to get away, go to like the hospital, yada, yada, yada. And, uh, cops take him in and he just basically says, yeah, I did it because when they go to the house, you see all oh, the doors been knocked off. Oh, the and, and the hammer like wedged in the wall. Yeah. Like <laughs> fucking scary shit. Like that's, awful like who does that yeah so this uh, so is, this is steven say, hayes the managing partner yeah, yeah. of deep space ventures which is uh one of the <laughs> investors or was until they cut ties with them in um the outlaws ownership group optic gaming uh yeah so it's reported by the dallas morning news and, and espn <laughs> esports jacob wolf but horrible horrible yeah. situation kudos to the outlaws for like super quick just like nope done like oh yeah 
didn't even take a whole okay. day. They're just like, nope, this is it. This is how this is how you handle these type of situations. Whenever these type of situations happen, everyone always like plays the the bet hedging game that drives me insane. It's kind of like when somebody gets caught in a lie and they just keep lying and lying, hoping that you won't find out that next thing that's going to make it look like the yeah. previous thing you said is a lie. The same thing when these these type of situations comes down. Like everybody's just hoping that something else is going to come up that you know somehow makes this okay or like isn't what we think it is. But dude admitted to yeah. it. He put yeah. the cops found blood stains. They found the hammer wedged in the wall. They broke down the door. The fact that I even have to talk about this on an esports podcast makes me sick to my stomach. Um, dude, stop being fucking violent assholes. Just in general, fuck esports. Like Jesus. Like yeah. what? Pretty shitty. Pretty shitty. What conversation have you ever had with a significant other that makes you want to kick down a door and throw a hammer? Good God, I, uh, I don't know. And it, it what's scary is that a person. Uh, with that kind of just you know mentality or whatever, uh, they can even make it as that far within a profession uh, is is awful. But I mean, all that aside, the fact that his wife is okay at a hospital and is doing you know not okay, but she's still alive, right? Like that's definitely one of those situations where uh, it just it's just scary. So yeah, yeah. I mean, like. These are the ones that I'm glad. Awful. I'm glad something got caught because these are the ones that devolve. Like when they don't get reported yeah. and they don't get found out soon enough. Like the next time you read this, he kills her with a hammer, and that's what's horrible right. about these situations. So um, this is gonna be interesting because he's actually a Deep Space Ventures, which he's the managing partner of, mm-hmm. um, is a pretty well known venture capital firm. They have invested in other esports and video game related companies like Play VS, uh, Mobilitics, Battlefy, and Ateo. So. Um, be int- I mean, I, I imagine everyone's going to cut ties. I mean, you already got the money, so it's kind of symbolic in that you're not going to take any more money from them. It's not like they're giving the money back, as far as I can tell. But right, right, y- you do what you got to do. I mean, this is. I feel horrible for that woman. I feel horrible for anyone that has to read this. Is just horrible. This is shitty garbage human stuff. This is even garbage esports stuff. This is just like. But I give kudos for the outlaws and Optic Gaming for cutting ties ASAP on this because. This is this is the type of story that yep. um, no offense to Jacob Wolf because he's a good journalist, but this is the type of story that if you don't deal with it now, three weeks later he digs this up. It's like oh, you've been hiding it. You end up in like an Urban Meyer situation, like he has at Ohio State, where he just hasn't dealt with the situation, and then it comes bubbling back up and looks far worse than you do about it. You did nothing about it, so yeah, there you yeah, go. You got your tough. dark, horrible story. Let's move on to more positive things. Uh, let's talk about Fortnite. So Fortnite continues to just be this like juggernaut it's gotten to the point where we don't talk about it anymore not because it's not growing or because it's losing steam but because it's, we're just so just assume this is going to be the case for a while like it's uh 74 rise in q2 viewership ninja has become the first twitch streamer ever to reach 10 million followers uh, he just did another one of his marquee streams where he uh, was with chance the rapper this time he was Backstage mm-hmm. at some freaking concert, like streaming Realm Royale or something crazy. Like, yeah, he's a he's pop culture icon at this point. I saw some people lobbying, including his wife, for him to be included in the thirty under thirty for Forbes this year. And I think honestly, like the impact that he's had, if he's not, it's ridiculous. Like, <laughs> right. there's never been a single player in the video game industry that has had this much impact. Like, screw esports and and all like. Ninjas, the celebrity representing streaming culture, video games as they exist in 2018. Um, he should definitely be up there. Uh, the amount of money that he is making, the amount of inroads he's made into popular culture that he is making. He is doing this crazy thing 
of straddling the line between being kid friendly yet being such a part of like hip hop culture and like it's just mind boggling the different areas that he shows up in. Right. Um, right. Well, I, I think also when you look at the um, the rise in, in viewership is largely around the fact uh, is, is the skirmishes, right? So they've started to have more tournaments, yep. uh, which brings a lot of people on at any given time. I think the top four tournaments uh, this past month, two of them were Fortnite or three of them might have been three of the top five were Fortnite related. Yep. I had to go back and look at the numbers. I think E-League had the other one in the PG, uh, the PUBG um, invitation was the was the the other one so uh and even one of them was like um i think it was like the second one of like the the weekend one that they were doing yep uh the one that ninja i think the, was a big part of yeah so they it's the saturday whatever yeah yeah, yeah I, I i have to go back and look at those numbers i just it breezed through breeze by on on twitter earlier today and i was like wow that's just insanity but i, I th- but i i remember like you know that's largely uh, contributing to contributing to this because you know they're talking three hundred plus thousand people watching and yeah when you've got four or five of those events yeah that'll help yeah I mean what one of the things that people got excited about over Evo weekend was that Dragon Ball for a brief period of time had more viewers than than Fortnite did and that's like <laughs> right right the stage that which for the longest time it was like League right everybody was looking at games like League of Legends or Dota and if you were beating those games like that was your marquee and Fortnite has become that that new game and. Um, there's games that are definitely losing audience. Uh, if you look at the Q2 numbers, as far as that goes, um, you have games that are growing. Dota 2, um, the IRL streams, Hearthstone, Destiny 2, all growing. But you also had Counter-Strike fell 47% in the last quarter. Uh, Overwatch yeah. fell 5%. Grand Theft Auto fell 11 Warcraft fell 25 though I imagine some of those are going to go back up. You'll see World of Warcraft go back up. Probably already has now that uh, Balfour Azeroth is really kicking off. Uh, but the Counter-Strike one is big. 11% decline in League of Legends is a big deal. Uh, Player Knows Battlegrounds is 9% decrease, which actually I'm surprised it's that little. I actually figured it would have been bigger because it is such a direct competitor to Fortnite. Mm-hmm. Um but overall, like, I mean, Fortnite is dominating. The platform itself is still growing when you add all the numbers up, so it's not like Twitch is dying by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I don't think the Ninja train is going to last forever, but no, he's certainly doing everything he can in the meantime. Um, he he's, hasn't had any major scandals. Nobody's dug up anything crazy. Sort of his little N-word slip he had um, early on when things were kicking off. He's largely doing a good job with it. Um, it's hard to follow him and his wife on Twitter, though, because it's all self-promotion all the time. But it's kind of what you have to do and take advantage of your 15 minutes or 30 minutes of fame that he seems to have. And it's great for I think it's great for everybody. Um, and it will be an endless joke that Jules gets to make about seven not picking up on the pop culture um, shift that him streaming with Drake was going to cause. So I welcome that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she grumpily, sure. she grumpily slouches in front of his microphone and gives <laughs> me the death stare. But... Yeah, so uh, kudos to Ninja and kudos to Fortnite. Um, I did mention, though, like his powers are somewhat limited. He he hosted Street Fighter during Evo, and it's still not enough to make it beat Dragon Ball Fighters. So for all you DBFZ fans out there, like, woo, go anime fighters. Moving on, card game news, which I don't know where to start. So let's start with uh, Artifact. So Artifact... Valve's new card game that was, uh, you know, there's not, I mean, there's, there's leaks out there. There's stuff to know about it. We've seen videos like you can get your yeah. people are in alphas. There's, there's ways to find out what's going on there, but largely they've been f- relatively quiet since the initial announcement at the international, which is literally just like the name and a giant sound of disappointment and regret <laughs> when they right. found out it was a card game. Um, 
is coming out in November. We're going to get to play it potentially at PAX, which 7 will be at August 31st through the 3rd. Um, but you'll be able to buy it starting in November. Um, it looks beautiful as far as card games go. Like They have definitely knocked it out of the park from a graphics standpoint. Very <laughs> interested to get my hands on it. It is naive, and I imagine they're already in place to think that there will not be esports plans given the Valve's track record, and this is the first game that they have released in a while. They made a big deal about we're making games again, and Artifact is yeah. their first like stake in the ground for making games again. Um, I'm not going to say we have any insider info, but everything I'm hearing is strongly leaning towards the fact that Valve is going to put a pretty big push behind Artifact as an esport. We will see how it holds up as a game in general, though, because this is not the first game to go after that Hearthstone honey bucket. Like We've right. definitely seen it with Elder Wait, Scrolls. Hearth- Hearthstone honey bucket is not the term. Honey bucket, <laughs> <laughs> honey bucket is a brand... Of porta potty, yeah, I know. Like, stall, I know. And it like, attracts all the flies. That's the whole point. <laughs> all right, and Winnie the Pooh. So, who doesn't right. want flies in Winnie the Pooh? That's what I'm saying. All right. Uh, well, so what's the name of the episode, by the way? Now, Hearthstone Honey Bucket. <laughs> oh man. Anyways, uh, yeah. So they they have announced that they're going to throw a million dollars into their competitive scene next year. Um, there's no real. I mean, in true true. Valve fashion. There's, there's no not a lot of information on it. Yeah, there's actually less than what Epic does around Fortnite <laughs> um, when it comes to it. So, uh, I, so I suspect we'll probably get some kind of like anti betting slash cheating thing about Artifact before we get any actual esports plans announced. But uh, you know, but I, I'm excited for it as well. It, it is uh, supposedly coming out from a mobile standpoint as well. Maybe not initially on the 28th. I don't remember seeing anything about it getting a side-by-side launch. Um, That might have been one of the reasons why they're pushing Steam heavily from a uh, on on the iOS platform. I know it's actually the first time that Source, the new Source engine, will actually be on mobile, so Mm -hmm. it's something different that they've uh, not yet really... Well, they've not, not yet done it before, so it's I'm excited to get some my hands on it, my grubby little hands on it. I've been wanting to try and playing this for some time nothing's really um, cracked it right like we've had what gwent um elder scrolls yeah. Shadowverse. there's, there's yeah. been some a few attempts at it but this is richard garfield the guy behind magic the gathering mm-hmm. is designed this yep. game um and and from what i've heard uh, what i've heard it's not uh it doesn't really uh, it doesn't really play like you would think like a hearthstone like along the lines of like a hearthstone or a traditional card game it's a little different um, and there's a, there is some definite ties to Dota 2 in it, um, not to the point where you actually have to know the entire lore and how to play Dota 2. To <laughs> Which is hilarious because all that's tied to Blizzard anyway, so it's, it's pretty funny. <laughs> all yeah. of them shaking out. Yeah. It's not the Lich so I, King, it is the Ice Royal guy. <laughs> <laughs> all right, whatever. You know, we Ice won't Prince. throw out any War, Warcraft spoilers about uh, the Lich Queen, but, you know, hey. Whatever. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Just kidding. Careful now. People just are, kidding, kidding. We, don't, we don't want any of that Sylvanas nonsense this direction. People are so... I Jesus, know, I can't go on Instagram, Twitter, up. everybody's upset. I really don't care. I, I could care less <laughs> either, but clearly there's some people that are super, super worked up about it. Um, our, our friend Michelle Morrow, I think, made like a 25-minute Instagram story about her feels about Sylvanas. So there's definitely some people that are, that are broken up about it. But yeah, um, yeah. No. So artifact, I'm stoked. I'm excited to try a new card game. Um, not that I don't love Hearthstone, but clearly not as much as you love Hearthstone. But um, 
It'd be it'd be interesting to see how if somebody can do it, and maybe the best route is to not try to be Hearthstone and not try to be you know beat Hearthstone but make your own thing. And to a certain extent, like Valve has had a lot of success in those areas. Like we've seen them do it with Dota two. So, um, and they're definitely putting their money where their mouth is allegedly on the esports side. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, other note, not a lot to talk about here because I know everybody's in experimentation mode. But um, the Boomsday project did come out this week. Seven would not respond to Discord messages until the server just came live. He was like in silent protest, <laughs> no eating, no talking. Um, and then I always knew when he was in the middle of a match because it would take like 17 minutes to get a response to a, to a question. But <laughs> anything of note up to this point that anyone should know about the Boomsday Project? It's uh, so far. I mean, it's it's still very much experimentation mode. You're still seeing a lot of people trying to create very, very new decks um and it feels like things have very much swung this kind of like otk uh non-interactive way in some ways shapes of shape or form like people um i mean we're talking about like single turn 60 damage from like mali druid oh we're going back so, there again yeah it's getting like bad and then of course you add in like mech uh mech and then you've got just destroying people's decks and automatically winning the game. Uh, so it's going to take a while for the meta to settle. I think historically, this is uh, the, the irony of the thing is, is, is that I often struggle with having fun in the game <laughs> the very first week <laughs> uh, after uh, it, it drops, largely because um, I want to experiment and I'm not the best. I would not say I'm the best deck builder, but I'm really good at refining and, and doing some additional stuff. So it's and so humble. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, it, things, things do change quite a bit. And I'm really sad because I found a really good deck right before uh, the meta change that I might've tweeted about, but um, so I, I'm still tweaking some things. I don't like to dry dive right into like net decking and on week one and, and doing that. I still kind of tinker, but Right now, what what you generally see in the first week, uh, everybody's trying out these like crazy combo decks, and it's kind of uh, you see aggressive decks really with high w- win rates. I think right now we're seeing like Zulok has jumped almost like four to seven percent in terms of win rate, like it's way over like sixty three percent right now. Oh, wow. and of course, everybody will complain that whatever, but it's just because there's so many people trying out these like. You know, these, these druid decks that do 60 damage a turn, but you've got to set things up all the way down to the end, or the Mechathune where you want to get down to, like, the last card in your deck. So there's there's a lot of things going on. The Everybody wants the still Twitch highlight-ready decks. It's yeah, like when I mean, Patron watch, Warrior watch a, first came out, and everybody just wanted to be get their Patron Warrior clip. Yeah, you watch uh, you watch Trollden. I think Trollden video that was dropped today was the first five minutes was just Mechathune stuff. Uh, so there's some some cool things out there, but they, again, the meta will kind of shift. But I think some people are feeling a little bit like there's, there's a lot of like I guess say um, you either have to like rush your opponent down or you're beaten by like something you just you can't play against, right? You can't you can't dodge sixty damage from Malibu, right. like which is interesting uh, because there was that big move from Blizzard, you know, a few expansions ago to get away from all this one turn kill stuff and right. It, it makes you wonder, was this a purposeful change or have they just grossly underestimated or will the meta settle and find ways to keep these decks from actually getting through and be viable? I, I don't know. It seems like a lot of people are playing the, the Druid deck that does this and it's just not. Um, and the thing is like Druid has so many tools that you can't just rush them down. And that's the problem is when you've given, uh, I mean, one of the ways you, you kind of make things 
a little more like 50-50 is if they have a weak spot, right? If they, if they have their weak to aggro during a specific stage of uh, the game and they're just not, you know, turn like three, turn four, they're cheating out big taunt minions. Turn six, they're one for one matching you with spreading play or uh, spreading plague. Uh, they were already that, good at win. stopping rushdown to begin with. You just gave them a huge tool for to reward them for lasting that long. Right, right, and, the, and they can armor, uh, you know, twelve armor for four mana, kind of stuff. Like they just they have so many tools to take it into the late game. Uh, yeah, and so we'll we'll see. It this it feels like there's a lot of interesting power creep stuff going on, um, but we're also seeing a lot of people just kind of slotting in maybe one or two cards right. into what the current deck was. And that's just kind of normal. It'll change. It's it's typical release week, release month type meta where it's just like a shit show. And yeah. You get in, get your level 20 to get your card back, and then go hide for a bit and come back in a few weeks when everybody else is crazier. Than I mean, no, I, I think that's... I think one of the reasons why I say I, I kind of struggle with this, I don't like playing on ladder. I don't, don't like to try and uh, grind levels um, or ranks. Uh while tinkering during the first week because it's just it's really hard to find the meta right. and play against it so you you tend to either get into a groove where like oh i'm gonna win and then you set a wall of decks you can't and so that's why everybody it, rushed just to get to level 20 for their card backs before the expansion came out <laughs> yeah i mean there's a lot of people who were rushing to get the legend before it happens and it's just i think a lot of people are that way it's it's um because it's almost, a, I mean, it's a shit. It's basically a crapshoot if you're going to try to get legendary after it comes out because the meta is so shifting. You have no idea what's going to work, and yeah, and it also depends on the power creep of a lot of things too, right? So, I mean, if you look at the the typical um, uh, Boomsday Day One Zulok, I think Hearthbone has it up. Uh, there's really only, I think, maybe two or three cards, maybe four cards that have been added to that, and of those four cards, like two of them are one ofs. So there's really not a, a ton of change to it. And I, again, I think this list will even change because a lot of people really love this giggling inventor card and I'm not hundred percent sold on it. Um, it just it feels like a weak fungal mancer to me, but whatever. Well, uh, we, we will see how that plays out, but I've, I've been having fun with a couple of decks I've been experimenting with. I did like a, an aggro heal zoo version, essentially, of um aggro heal zoo all the words you can throw in there for a paladin deck uh just throw cube in there fun. too and we'll be good <laughs> yeah uh some stuff with uh shaman and bloodlust shaman is really fun um so there's definitely some cool things out there but we shall see well get on it it is available now if you did not pre-order it you should have but you can uh go ahead and pre- buy them packs. pre-ordered i'm one of those did you get eight? Did you end up switching to the eighty packer, or you? I didn't switch. I ended up buying it as well. So. <laughs> of course you did. Of course you did. <laughs> yeah. I, let me tell you, that's actually the part I hate the most is having to like. I remember I was like starting to fall asleep because I was opening packs for so long oh, God. <laughs> that I almost had to break it into stages because I literally nodded off at one point. I'm like, oh my god, I still have forty left <laughs> because I opened <laughs> almost like two hundred packs. Well, because packs. you're basically getting a crap ton of duplicates and hoping for a, like an epic or a legendary to once you get to a certain point. Yeah, and I like to kind of read all of them initially, right? Like while I'm starting, uh, and I just started like I don't know, just to like try and throw them into memory um and then you also start like theory crafting every time you see something new and i don't know it just your brain goes then finally you start to go and you just want to go to sleep but anyways i didn't take nearly as long this time as it did uh last time because last time it dropped like during packs and i had no chance to play 
So oh, this time you've got nothing but time. Clearly, nothing but time nothing. to fall asleep. And open <laughs> nothing but time to fall asleep. It's a tough life I live. Oh man, a couple other stories of note. So uh, we reported a f- couple of months ago about the OpenAI project moving on to its next milestone, which is to play a game, a full five v five game of Dota two against uh, former Dota two pros, which has gone swimmingly. They won two one in that matchup. Took yeah. the first two maps uh, fairly convincingly. So kudos to the OpenAI team. This is some crazy stuff, and it looks like the next step is to play current pros at the international. Is our next milestone? But um, these were all some, you know, pretty intense level of Dota play to begin with. So these weren't. This wasn't like playing Seven and I that literally have no clue what we're doing. Um, so <laughs> kudos, kudos to OpenAI for that. Uh, if you follow Vainglory Esports, they put out a blog post. As kind of a, I don't know. I mean, esports so, coming soon. <laughs> let, let, let's spend five minutes talking about Vainglory Esports. So, Vainglory Esports has an interesting place in the history of this show, as Super Evil was one of the first companies that kind of embraced the mainstream coverage of esports by Bleacher Report, especially. And we did a lot of work with them early on, and we were fairly impressed with what they had put in place already, not just for being an early esport, but for being a mobile esport. And it was a huge part of the game and the company's identity. They had a lot of investment from some pretty decent-sized organizations very early on, TSM, Mousesport, a lot, and it just kept going and going and going. And then they made the switch in the game from a 3v3 mode to adding a 5v5 mode, and everything just went off the rails. They lost, uh, I won't throw names around, but they lost some who I believe to be key people from their esports and marketing initiatives. Um, They were replaced with folks that did not have as much experience as those folks did. And I feel like both the game losing its way and the esports organization within Super Evil losing its way became a pretty potent mixture that, that kind of derailed that community um, from a playing standpoint as well as from an outsider you know viewership standpoint pretty significantly. And they lost a lot of that identity. And as we reported a week or two ago on the show as well, now we have the fact that it is no longer just a mobile game. Um, which is a weird thing right. for me to wrap my head around. I don't want to rehash the conversation that you and Jules had too much, but it's a weird thing for me to wrap my head around because I've only ever known Vainglory as a mobile game, not just this, oh yeah, because it was on mobile, dub Ryan, but also because that was a huge part of Super Evil's mission. When you talk to anybody at Super Evil, it was about mobile esports and mobile being the future of gaming, and they were so that was their core mission, and that has been effectively thrown out the window. And now they're a MOBA game, and there's a lot that's gone into the engine. Like, I don't want to dis, you know, discredit right. the work they put into the engine that is clearly allowing them to do it on PC and Mac. But it changes the game drastically. It changes the company drastically, and it changes the eSport drastically. And this announcement is notable in what it is lacking, in that they just still don't know what they're going to do. Yeah. Like, hey, here's some stuff. Here's some other stuff. I think we got another year before Vainglory figures out what the hell it is before Super Evil knows to run with it, right? Like, is it now right. a console game? Is there multi or a uh, sure, phrase that PC game? Is there separate segments for the both? Is it all five v five going forward? Like, there's a lot of change going on, and maybe this will all come out okay on the other end. But I feel like they're trying to change too much about the game, and I don't feel like Vainglory was so big as a MOBA that you could afford to just completely flip your identity on its head and start like 
just going across different platforms and different formats and throwing the esports element of it. It's all super weird and it makes me a little bit sad. And I'm not trying to be negative about the whole thing, but like I'm being negative about the whole thing. I don't get it. I don't think I don't think Vainglory is this amazing what made Vainglory awesome was it was a good MOBA experience on mobile. Yeah. If you put it on desktop, it is a subpar MOBA compared to the other MOBAs that are out there. I'm just gonna be frank. Like it does not have the roster that the desktop MOBAs have. Okay. It does not have the development cycle speed that the other MOBA developers have. Um, well, it, it's very much a reset. Yeah, it's a huge, I mean, huge. It's, they're reset. starting off from from essentially you know day one. That makes me nervous. Now on esports, they've got a couple of leagues that were essentially, by the looks of it, were going in like China. Uh, and I think uh, East Asia were already kind of going without their support. Yeah, where they've been, um, where they have been bigger and stronger than they have been in the EU right. and, and NA. So I guess that's not really surprising. Yeah, and so they're trying to figure out like what do they do and where are they going with this. They're trying to find tournament organizers as well because they didn't handle a lot of their stuff in house. They had to deal with Twitch, right? And so Twitch yep. slash ESL, I believe, was handling almost um, exclusively all of their tournament thro- uh, production. Yep. So. Um, that is that vainglory Twitch deal, I believe is gone. Um, and it's no longer a a thing. Um, but again, it's, it's very much like starting over and that's, that's tough for a team, for a, a game that had, you know, they had like TSM, they had cloud nine, they had Tempest Storm, they had all these organizations like bought in, like, yes, and they were doing well, they were doing well. And so I, I, I hope. I hope that they do well. Yeah, I'm not throwing shade their way. I just, I don't, it worries me. Like, it's a pretty massive change for what it is. And I just don't feel like the game's big enough to, or the team is big enough to weather it. It's, it's, I don't know. And when I'm just worried about from a game development standpoint and health of the game, let alone like the esports side of things. And I think they should just stop worrying about esports, to be quite frank. Well, I I don't know. I don't think I don't think you they they can. Yeah, but doesn't it just shine? It, it just shines a giant spotlight on it that you have no effing clue what you're going to do with it right now. I think like this, you I read this blog post and I'm like, what the hell am I reading? <laughs> yeah, the, the the blog post says we're still looking for help. Basically, it's like <laughs> it's kind of like a giant careers <laughs> posting, right? Like, hey, we're looking Whoops. for people who know how to throw tournaments. We're looking for, like that's exactly what it came off as, right? Uh, versus having some kind of structured announcement of what they should be or want to be doing. I think, hey, give us a call, um, Super Evil, we'll help you out. Yeah, <laughs> and our free PR, time. We, we've we've had plenty plenty of experience with PR people. Uh, uh, <laughs> we we're really good at telling you show. what not to do. I mean, that's literally yeah. what we've made our careers off of at eSports. So <laughs> we're going to embargo this for two hours. <laughs> like, okay, thanks. Uh, it's just about an event that nobody really cares if they hear about it now in two hours or if they hear about it in a week. It's like, anyway, hey, there's all those eSports news people up at like three a.m. really wanting to get the scoop. Yeah, yeah like that's right. They're all shit. hanging out at IHOPs waiting. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. I'm at the Waffle <laughs> House ready to report on some Vainglory esports. It's going to be great. Yeah. Anyways. Oh, moving right along into some of the more silly stuff. Let's talk about Virtus Pro real quick. Um, I don't know if you've seen this yet, but if you go on their Twitter or basically all their social media, they've got the new Russian sponsor, Russian uh, telecom company, Megaphone. And as yeah. part of this deal, they have changed their colors to mm-hmm. the next Mountain Dew flavor, um, <laughs> which is like purple and like electric lime. 
And so they, I, what? <laughs> I, I found this because Moses, uh, he had posted. He's like, I thought this was a joke. It, it looks. Like, I saw like this post on Reddit. Three minutes on it. It's like somebody went in Photoshop or MS Paint and used the paint bucket. Yeah, it just select a color, change to green and purple. So it's no longer like orange, black, orange, black, and blue. It's more like a gray. Could you well, imagine like the Yankees selling yeah, a sponsorship purple. deal and just changing their brand colors? You know. It's. I mean, we've seen uh, Team Liquid has done a, a few changes, not necessarily in terms of like from a sponsorship, but they've got different teams have different colors. Um, I think there's who is it has pink? Is it actually League? I think League of Legends might actually have the pink jerseys from time to time. Yeah, but uh, doing one off jerseys is a whole different story than like we are now Electric Lime Mountain Dew. Yeah. Well, no, no. I, 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 I like that. Virtus Pro has gone colorblind mode. Um, that's basically <laughs> what it looks like. I like that one. Uh, it might might actually work in their favor in some way. Accessibility. Shape <laughs> yeah. So that. it's it is it's very different. It's like it's either they hired the Joker to be their graphic designer, or uh, they've gone colorblind mode. It's. I'm googling it right now because I actually want to see if I can buy the new jersey. I feel like uh, I, this is like a piece of esports history that I should own. I, I looked earlier today, and the main place that they sell it through had not updated yet. No, it's still orange, so, black. What the hell? All this, all this stuff is outdated. Buy them now. Buy them now before, <laughs> before the Joker comes for you. And I don't know. It's it, what's unfortunate uh, is I actually really like their branding. Yeah, no, I've, I've historically liked Virtus Pro, um, especially cool when they were in Hearthstone scene. Great team, but. Yeah, I don't know, man. Now they're going to scare you. You're going to go into seizures before for the match just by looking at their. Uh, oh man, this is this may, this is actually worse than my reaction to like the Florida mayhem, and that is saying something. It, it's yeah, I think it's just because you're so used to Virtus Pro always being orange, and it just it they've just historically that's you just associate it. Like now when they show up, it's kind of like okay. Um, it's kind of like when they changed the huge branding for like the Barclay Premier League, right? Like everybody was like, "What the heck is this color palette?" It's the same way. Um, yeah, but, but that's important. I mean, there's different. I feel there's dumb bad. riffing on it, but it's still it's kind of silly. It does look like it's. It literally looks like maybe somebody just took like the hue filter and just let's just take it to the far end of the spectrum, and then that's the this. Color this palette. looks like the guy who just got his invite to dribble and was like, I'm going to do a rebrand of all the esports jerseys, and he picked yeah. purple and lime for this. I don't know. <laughs> here, here are the two colors you have. Yes, literally. You like know? This is a design exercise to see what you could do with the worst color combination ever, and that's what we got. Oh, man. Yeah, anyway. I w- but you know what? They... They sold that to Megaphone, basically. That's the um, best part. Well, no, I imagine Megaphone's like, the only way we'll give you this money is if we can control the branding. I was like, oh, God. This is, this is the Jersey equivalent, for those of you who have worked in the design industry, this is the Jersey equivalent of when you work at like a Bleacher Report and someone comes to you and goes, we've sold a homepage skin. And you're like, oh, all right, I can't wait to do an awesome background ad. Um, that's what this <laughs> the is. The rapper ad, yeah. Sorry, I'm channeling some it. early career angst at the uh, at the jersey change. <laughs> it's like we just need two flying Gillette razors in the background of the website. That'll sell some clicks. Like that's what this is. Good job, megaphone. Um, and then, last but you. not least, uh, parents are hiring Fortnite coaches to tutor their children. The esports dream, the Twitch streaming dream, is alive. 
Now, instead of getting class tutors or personal strength coaches for your quarterback, you are now getting Fortnite coaches for your kid. It's it's the parental version of uh, life's microtransactions. You have to pay <laughs> so much time for your kid to not look like a full... Uh, Play, the short-sightedness of this is what blows my freaking mind. So the story was um, this woman hired a Fortnite coach for her 10-year-old son. She purchased four hours of Fortnite tutoring for around 50 bucks. And I'm just like, you do realize once this actually becomes... Once your kid is old enough to have, for this to be a marketable skill, no one will give a crap about Fortnite anymore. This is, this is the yeah. equivalent of like you paying your 10 year old five years ago for a tutor to get good at Minecraft. And now like Minecraft is no longer as a big, big of a deal to kids as it was when you buy it. Just, this is dumb. And I also feel like this is a little forced. Like somebody saw this and like, Oh, let's make a bigger deal about this than it actually is. It's like a CNN article or something. Um, but it's, I, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe they can get one for a little Yachty. Uh, I don't know if you saw that. <laughs> they decided to go and uh, play Fortnite and basically get roasted by chat so much that he ended up quitting and then tweeting out basically, uh, <laughs> what was it? Um, uh, lick my balls, I'm a millionaire. <laughs> I mean, like, he's not hey. wrong. No, I mean, but that's, I mean, I guess that's one way to deal with PR. Uh, or you can pay somebody 20 bucks PR. an hour to teach you how to play. And I, I, <laughs> I, I, I want to be clear here. There's nothing wrong. Like, there is a whole cottage industry of streamers that also have side gigs of teaching people how to be better at games. And I've even used it. Like, I when I was diving into Heroes quite a bit, I used Kyle Ferguson, who um, is is uh, into the Nexus, I believe is his podcast. But, like, he taught me some stuff around Heroes of the Storm. So there's nothing wrong with it. I just find it amusing when parents are using this, like, a college prep career move. Like, my 10-year-old is the future ninja, and I'm going to, like, invest a bunch of money into hiring him a tutor to get better at Fortnite. It's just silly. It's just, it's a strange world we live in. It is a very strange world. I promise you by the time that kid is old enough to stream and make money you from know. the Fortnite's not going to be the thing that you want him to be good at. And just play the numbers. <laughs> Next show will be reporting that Ninja's been hired for children's birthdays. <laughs> He's like <laughs> replacement for a clown. He's got the hair. I don't, oh man, what is going on? Esports video games. This is 2018, my friend. I feel I think we're just old. We are old. That's really <laughs> that's really what this is all about is we are showing our age right now. There's a bunch of seventeen year olds listening, like, dude, I totally could use a t- Fortnite tutor. Screw college. Or, I'm be a or, or dude, I made fifty bucks. It's it's equivalent to babysitting now nowadays, I guess. I know. It's like instead of babysitting Anyways. or doing a paper route, I'm just gonna teach people how to play Fortnite. We're, we're killing their industry. Oh man, that's gonna I can't I I've, I've we've reached peak e- esports, can't do it anymore. It's just, it's too much. I'm retiring. I'm just going to stream. <laughs> you have to have an audience to begin with, sir, before you, <laughs> oh, yeah. that, that's a viable option. <laughs> Unless oh. people want to watch you rip Van Winkle your way through Hearthstone packs, I don't think. <laughs> I know. So glad I never, I didn't stream that. Oh, it's like snoring mid-pack. Anyway, if you want to catch more of Rip Van Winkle over there, you can do so every Tuesday on iTunes, Overcast, Podcast, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, and the RSS feed over at our site at nerfthis.gg. Uh, also, be sure to check out our daily show, which is on podcast form as well as an Alexa Flash Briefing Esports Daily with myself, Seven, and Jewel Scott every Monday through Friday. 
And we appreciate those iTunes reviews. Go over to iTunes, leave us a five-star review. It helps people discover the show, and we greatly appreciate it. And, of course, you can talk at us on the social medias over at Twitter at NerfThisCrew and on Facebook and Instagram at NerfThisGG. And you can join our Discord server at NerfThis.GG slash Discord. And on that, I'm um, late for my Fortnite tutoring session, so we're going to have to uh, end it a couple minutes early. That's going to do it for this week. We will see everybody back next time for another episode of Nerf This.